Hey gang, it's John. So I'm curious who recognizes this song that's playing right now. It is, if you can't tell, a variation on the theme song from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And yes, our guest this week, if you are over the age of 40, then chances are you practically grew up watching our guest this week, Joe Negri, on Mr. Rogers playing the character of Handyman Negri. Yes, Joe Negri is also a world-renowned jazz guitarist. And I guess I knew that, but probably had forgotten. And when I found that out recently, I thought, I wonder if Joe would come on the show. And sure enough, he did. And so, unfortunately, he was only able to give me about 15 minutes, which honestly is barely enough time to even cover someone's Wikipedia page, let alone go deep on all the stuff I like to talk about. Mr. Rogers is a is my hero, honestly, and so I could have done a couple hours just on that, let alone his musical career, his personal life, all that stuff. Joe is 91 years old, and he is still out there playing as active as ever. So I know this is different, I know it's unique and random, and he's not the kind of guest we normally have, but I could not pass up the opportunity to honor Joe Handyman Negri. So I hope you enjoy this very brief conversation with him and learn a little bit that you probably didn't know. He called me from his home in Pittsburgh. I'm of the age where I feel like I basically grew up with you, watching you. In fact, recently, what sparked all of this was sometimes in the middle of the night here on on PBS in Denver, they play reruns of Mr. Rogers. And so I record them and watch them with my kids. And um, I was... Mm -hmm kind of Googling where everyone was nowadays, and who was still around. And, and, I, and I had remembered vaguely that you were a musician, but I hadn't thought of it for a while. And when I saw that you were still out there being very active, and I thought, I wonder if Joe would talk to me. So, you know, going back, going back, I'm curious, you know, it seems like you've been a musician and an educator for pretty much your entire life almost. Yeah, yeah. Well, where did this edu- all begin? The education part really started maybe uh, 40 years ago, something like that. But I have been in show business, to put it, (laughs) since I was a kid. You know, I really started when I was very small. I was uh, maybe three or four years old, and uh, I was appearing on uh, children's radio shows. They were called the Uncle Shows, Uncle Harry, Uncle Henry. There was all kinds back Mm -hmm. then, so I did them. Okay. Uh, it was the day of Jackie Cooper and Shirley Temple and people like that, you know. And sure. I mean, it was the Depression, so people people were hoping that maybe their kids were going to make it to California mm. and make it to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, true. Was that your? <laughs> but I did start young, and I uh, I kept performing until I was about in my early teens, and then uh, I had a, a serious voice change. And uh, I didn't uh, particularly uh, want to sing anymore because my voice was cracking, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I kind of cooled it for a year or two, but then I, I got seriously into guitar. I used to accompany myself on the guitar, but mainly it was for singing, you know. Uh-huh. And then I got really serious in guitar, and my dad took me to a rather good local teacher. His name was Vic Lawrence. Vic introduced me to some early pioneers of the jazz guitar, you know, people like Eddie Lang and Carl Kress and Django Reinhardt. Yeah, Django Reinhardt, right. And then I personally discovered uh, 
Charlie Christian. Mm-hmm. And uh, Charlie was a fellow out of Oklahoma that um, that joined the Benny Goodman band and, and did a lot of wonderful recordings with the, the Benny Goodman sextet. Gene Krupa was in that group and okay. a lot of wonderful guys, you know. Yeah. And uh, Charlie then went on and uh, he died very young. He died of tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't even 26, I don't think. He also had a, a little hand in uh, starting the bebop trend, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did some early records with maybe people like Diz and stuff sure. like that, you know. Right. So he was a very big influence to me and okay. got me into uh, seriously into music, you know. Yeah. And from yeah. my early showbiz days, I I became a full-fledged musician. Okay. Because um, I believe he went to Carnegie Tech for music, but then shortly after yeah, that he got was, a job with the local radio, the local TV station, right? Yeah, right. I went to Carnegie Mellon to study composition because at the time, I don't know if you were, were aware of it, John, but they didn't recognize guitar, mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. colleges, you know. Sure. So um, I had to go in there as a composition major. Uh, do you remember who uh, the name Johnny Costa? Yeah, who was on the Fred Rogers? Yep, he was the pianist and musical director. Yep. yep, yeah, he was a good friend of mine, and we were both uh, World War II vets. And uh, Johnny had gone into Carnegie Mellon about two years before me. He highly recommended it, you know. So I, yeah. I, I kind of went in, and they accepted me as a, as a composition major. While I was there, about two years in. I got the call to um, to start on this uh, local television show, and I remember going to the comp teacher and composition teacher and saying, "Geez, I don't know what to do. I uh, <laughs> I hate to quit." But uh, he said, uh, "Well, what do you want to do with your life?" And I said, "Well, I just want to be a musician." He said, "Well, then go ahead." You know, so I took the gig. <laughs> right. I took the gig on the TV station, in which was the start of it, and. Um, what kind I mean, of things were you doing? You know, doing music was, for a TV it, station. What is that? You wouldn't believe it. They were like um, they were like a Bob Hope, Bing Crosby duo. Uh, mm. One was a comedy guy, and the other kind of sang well, played a little piano, and and I had the trio that backed them up, and they would also feature us on number two within the half hour show. You know, so from there, about a year or two later, they uh, offered me a a job on an afternoon. Kind of like a talk show, almost like the, oh, you know, like a Jack Austin show or with guests and stuff like that. And that led on to my getting a staff job at the ABC station here in Pittsburgh, which was called WTAE. And so then I became the staff musician at WTAE, and I would, I was writing for documentaries and doing okay. shows at the station, backing up the children's programs. You know, I don't know if you remember that back in the Back in the 50s and the early 60s, there was a lot of afternoon children's shows, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. We had one here called Adventure Time, which I, I used to host. The Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts uh, would be guests, and and then there'd be cartoons and stuff like that. Right, you know, right. Too. Okay. And were you and finding, was, uh, I mean, when you went into television, was it satisfying the musical itch that you had, but also sort of creating a new interest in television? Or was it just a means to keep doing music the whole time? 
you know what it was? It, it was a means of making a decent living, and uh, Got it. That, sure. that was yeah. appealing to me. Because in the evenings, I was I was still going out and playing jazz gigs, you know, mm-hmm. and jamming and doing stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the time I started teaching, I guess. I began taking a few guitar students, and uh, it was also that time that I met Fred Rogers, you know, and that right. led that led to uh, him calling me one day and saying, Hey, Joe, I'm going to start a new show. Would you like to be the handyman on the show? <laughs> Do you know what inspired him to ask you to be a handyman? And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Fred, <laughs> you're in the wrong handyman. He said, no, you'll be, you'll be terrific. It's all pretend. Yeah. So uh, then we started that show. So I used to work wow. TAE as, a, as the music director and then do the Rogers tapings maybe once okay. or twice. You know. Did you have any idea early on what you would be getting into when you, you know, aligned with Fred Rogers? Were you especially impressed with him? Was it just sort of another gig? Um, you know, how did you approach it? How were you feeling back then? We were very. I was very impressed with him. He was very good. He was a good writer. You know, and he did all that. I don't think Fred had any idea of where we were going. Mm. Little by little, the show picked up on the um, public broadcasting networks. And one day he said, uh, you're not going to believe this, but they're going to they're going to start broadcasting our shows overseas to the armed services. Mm-hmm. And we were going we were going to Europe. He said, gee, we're in the Philippines. They're seeing us in the Philippines. You know. Wow. <laughs> wow. And all of a sudden, you know, things changed. Yeah. It was. It was the time of um, Fred's competitors were Sesame Street, you know. Sure, yeah. I was yeah. still with uh, Joe Raposa. I always thought he was a terrific writer and good mm-hmm. songwriter. Fred was always critical of Sesame Street, but but oh, I really, liked, I oh, like. So. It's interesting you say that. I'm reach, I'm reading the biography of Jim Henson right now. And, uh, and Jim Henson was great. He had a great puppeteer. But Fred didn't like the fact that, uh, I don't know, they, they put things in their mouth and ate stuff. He, okay. he was always aware of that little of that little friend of his that was out there that he talked yeah. to. You know. Yeah. He didn't want the cartoon character doing goofy things that kids yeah. do. But, <clears throat> yeah, he seemed more serious-minded. So, you know, I've always been curious. I hope this comes out the right way. On a set like that, is there any levity or are you, in order to work with Fred in that environment, do you have to be, and, I, and who wouldn't be, but do you have to be on the same page in terms of how passionately you feel about educating children or is it a job no, or not, are people laughing I, behind the scenes? How does it work? I don't think we were as passionately involved with the, with the children's thing, although we we were all aware of what he was, you know, what his purpose was, and mm-hmm. and because he he worked with um, with educators at the University of Pittsburgh, and they 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 always would look over his scripts and you know oh, make wow. suggestions to him. So he was very much involved with the education of of kids. He was also a minister, you know. So he yeah. he was a pretty mm-hmm. well-rounded guy. He was a lot of fun. He could be, he could be humorous, and he used to sit there when we would play our, uh, when we would finish watching the tape for the uh, for the day. He would go to the piano, and he would play that um, that theme from uh, uh, from the movies. Da 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 da. That's all, folks. He would do. He would do it. 
he would break us up, you know. Wow. Okay. He was, he was very demanding, you know. He wrote his scripts, and he wanted his scripts followed to the to the letter, you know. Yeah, sure. So you couldn't go in there and wing it and ad lib. You know, you had to do what he wrote. Yeah. And okay. He seemed very... Good, we had a good time. Had a good time. Okay, good. He seems very single-minded and very purposeful. I mean, what he did or brought about is now seemed very re revolutionary, you know? Yeah, um, it did. I mean, he's one of the most formidable television educators in history, and you were right. there, you know, en enabling him and empowering him to do what he wanted to do. Uh, so tell, tell me some, I mean, you know, were you... I don't remember exactly if you were I, – I don't think that – you were primarily on when they would go to make-believe, I believe, the land of make-believe. Yeah. I, I would occasionally uh, go into the recording studio with the combo uh, for post-dubbing, you know. Okay. I did some okay. stuff like that. And the only time I really got to play was when we would bring guests into Negri's music shop. Yeah. And then I would have Yo-Yo Ma. right. And, and I remember Ma. that. Yes, I'd forgotten about – Negri's yeah. Music Shop, yeah. So do you have any stories? I mean, a lot of famous people and important people pass through there. Do you have funny stories or uh, important yeah. stories or anything like that? What are some of your recollections? The, the, the one, of the, one of the best was Yo-Yo Ma. He was just wonderful. Really? And I was kind of like edgy having to play for him, with him, mm -hmm. you know. And I, what, mm -hmm. the heck, what the heck is he going to want to do, something really, something really uh, classical? So he yeah. picked us that Fred wrote called Tree 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 <laughs> and we played it and it was absolutely spectacular it was oh, just beautiful them simply and nice and and it was just just ideal you know it couldn't have been better <laughs> yeah interesting wow. Winton was great too Winton we jammed and we had a good time yeah, yeah he's still amazing I mean, he's, yes he he's is. never lost it
neither of them have yo-yo either my goodness wow yeah okay i don't even know quite how it works would this have been a full-time job for you just being on that show or were you primarily no 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 i was, by the I was still working at tae and okay. then uh, when tae dropped um dropped me in the late 80s uh that's when i really got into education and started teaching okay. at carnegie mellon and and okay. pitt and duquesne and i'm still there yeah. I'm not at Carnegie Mellon anymore, though, John. They have decided to drop their jazz program, and uh, oh. but Pitt still has one. I don't know if you know the name Jerry Allen. I do. Jazz yeah. pianist from Detroit. Yeah. She was the music director at um, jazz director of Pitt. Okay, okay. Now, one thing we we touch on sensitively, if possible, on here a little bit is the money is the sort of the business side or the money side. I mean, obviously you were mentioning that WTE was, or TAE was your, they were your employer. You were sort of, you know, doing the show as needed. This might be a, I hope this is not an insensitive question, but I've always been curious. Do you receive any kind of royalty for appearing on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as that show continues to air periodically? Yeah. You do. Okay. Yeah, we did. But, but uh, just to put it uh, simply, there's been problems with the royalties uh, for uh, some reason. Uh, yeah. We got them early, but then they stopped. Yeah. Uh, that series of shows that you were just talking about seeing recently, mm -hmm. uh, we didn't get any royalties on those. Oh, we've, been, we've been in touch with um, the local un with uh, uh, the, the uh, Afro SAG union. Oh, well, let's, I think I've brought you up to date, and now, okay. now I'm still playing guitar and I'm still writing. And um, that's um, amazing. And uh, real quick, I want to talk about just your recording career. You've had uh, – it didn't really start until the late 90s, but then in 2010, I mean, I think anyone – some of these albums I've listened to on Spotify, for instance, you can buy them on iTunes or from your yeah. website. But how did you come to work with Michael Feinstein? Oh, he called me. I used to work with him with the Pittsburgh Symphony, you know, for Pops uh -huh. concert. And uh, he and I hit it off well, so he called me to do a recording when we went up to New York and did that, did that album. Tonight, while the world is still, here I stand under her windowsill, sing to my loved one, serenata for me, sing her.
very be nice. A huge compliment to you that someone as, yes, it as was. big as him would come and want to work with you on an entire album. Right. And then I have a wonderful Christmas album out called Guitarist yeah. Christmas that's still popular. Uptown Elegance, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And listen, uh, there are some wonderful things on YouTube uh, that my granddaughter did of me playing some nice solos. You are, you ought to check them out. I think you'll like them. I will, and I will put. I'll share the link to that with our listeners so that they can check it out as well. Um, yeah, I have I Body want... and Soul, and uh, oh, I have a lot of good things on there. You know. Good. Well, Joe, I just want to tell you, I, I, Fred Rogers is my personal hero. Uh, it's true I try every day to be as like him as I can and I'm so far afield from it but you are a part of what uh, you're you're somebody who I inspire to be like or my impression of you or or a part of that world I I I see you and I see him I see that what you people are trying to accomplish and it inspires me to try and be a better person and so I just want you to know thank you for all the good you've put out in this world because it, uh, I aspire to be as good as I perceive you to be every day. So thank you. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad we were able to get across to you like that. You did. Wonderful you did. talking to you, John. Okay. Thank you, Joe. There you have it, Joe Negri. I thought that was kind of fun. I love that we throw strange curveballs like that one out to you guys periodically, but. Uh, I'm not uh, exaggerating when I say that Mr. Rogers is and has been for many years my personal hero. And so to talk to somebody who empowered him and worked alongside him and fought for the same cause as him was a real honor to me. So I tell this story a lot to some people who are, you know, close to me in my life, but I'll never forget one of the things that really struck me about Fred Rogers was I heard him on Charlie Rose one night. This was back in the 90s. I was in college and it was on really late at night. Charlie asked him, how do you inspire people to stay on the path and to be good and to do their best? How do you perpetuate this over the long term? And Fred said, and I've never forgotten this, he said, the important thing is to be a gracious receiver. That when you receive goodness from somebody, you shower them with gratitude because that gives them the fuel to continue to be great, gracious or giving, I should say, to other people. 
and to continue with acts of service. I've never forgotten that. That was a really profound lesson to me. That's partly why I feel like I do about Fred Rogers and by association, Joe Negri. So thank you, Joe, for talking to me. You're a good man. And I hope you guys enjoyed that. So we'll be back in a few days with a regular episode. But thanks, everybody.